How many of you made New Year's resolutions? Did you make one? No? Did you make any? Okay, all right. Well, I know why. Because really, your goal for 2019 is to accomplish the goals that you set for yourself for 2018. Which should have been done in 2017 because you made a promise in 2016 and planned in 2015 to finish what you started in 2014 after resolving to do it in 2013. Does that describe anyone in this place? I see a few honest people. The rest of you are you you lying in church. Please. Well, we are starting our Kingdom Builder series. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I've uh, been thinking about it for a long time. And, and uh, throughout the course of this month, um, I, I just, I, I'm going to share just what, what God really has, has put on my heart. That is, a, it's, it's, a, it's not really a change in direction, but it's a change in, in how we communicate. And, and we are a, a church um, that, that believes in missions. We're a church that believes in outreach. And, and God has just put this idea uh, on my heart, and it's not original to me, so I'm not claiming that I didn't write a book about it or anything like that. Um, but, but somebody else probably did, and I'm, we're just stealing the name. Um, but, but Kingdom Builders is going to be a way that we communicate um, are anything to do with reaching out to other people. Whether it's across the world or across the street, we're going to refer to that as kingdom builders. And so over the, the, the course of January, what I would like to do is just begin to, to open up some of what I think is, is really um, going to happen. But today what I really want to do is I want to sort of lay some groundwork because we need to understand why why it is that we do the things that we do. And ultimately, Jesus has, has given us uh, our objectives, love God and love others, and, and, and that's what we want to do. And, and so today, I want to just kind of take this word kingdom, and I want to I kind of unpack it a little bit, and I want to talk about it. Because when we say the word kingdom, when we're a part of God's kingdom, or we're, when we're building God's kingdom, that word kingdom means something. And I want us to have an understanding uh, of what it means and the context in which we use it. And so I want to start out by letting you know that there are two kingdoms. When we use the word kingdom, there are two kingdoms. Now, let me give you a couple of definitions for that word. The first one would be a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or a queen. And that one we are, I think, very familiar with that idea. But the second one is a spiritual reign or the authority of God. And I want us to begin to function in our minds using both of those definitions. I want us to be able to understand that when we talk about the kingdom, we are talking about the possibility that there are more than one kingdom. There are two kingdoms that we're specifically referring to. Now, in our world today, it's filled with different kingdoms. We call those kingdoms governments or nations, right? 
That's what, we're, that's what we're referring to normally when we would talk about the, the idea of a kingdom. It's a government or a nation. And, and we can look around the world. There, there are 100, and I'm sure this changes from time to time, there's 195 different countries in our world today. But for my message, I'm not going to be talking about geopolitics, Okay. We're not talking about those 195 different countries. In the Gospel of John, in fact, in several Gospels uh, of uh, the Gospels, Jesus, after um, he began his ministry, in fact, what, what really happened at the beginning of it was a 40-day period of time where he went into the wilderness and spent time fasting and praying. Now, if you've never done it before, I, I would encourage you uh, as we start the new year to, uh, to, to experience fasting. Um, let me tell you, fasting goes against everything that is our normal way of doing things as people. I am, I am that person that when I wake up in the morning, um, I have two thoughts that go through my mind very quickly. The first one is coffee. The second one is breakfast, Okay. I'm just, and I'm being honest with you, I, that's me. Um, at 11.30, I'm thinking, you know what, lunch is really close. Um, after I get done work, I'm, I'm like, man, I really hope we're having some good dinner tonight. I, that's just how it is. Fasting is when you set aside time to go without food or, or maybe even some other thing. Um, and you say, I'm going to set this time aside for God, and I'm going to seek his face and go without whatever that thing is. And so if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do that. Um, some of you might say, I could never envision going a day without food, and, and, and I would say that that's only because you've never had to. Um, but it is something that we can do. Jesus started out his ministry 40 days in the wilderness fasting, and it says that at the end of that time, he was tempted by the devil. In fact, it says that Satan took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all, and I'm going to use air quotes here, the kingdoms of this world. And he said to Jesus, Jesus if you will simply bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Now, theologically, that, that could start a, a firestorm of a debate, and I don't want to get into that, or whether or not did Satan actually have the authority to do that or not. That's not what I want to say. I simply want you to understand that there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world, and there is the kingdom, ultimately, of God. On three separate occasions in John's gospel alone, he refers to Satan as the prince of this world. He is the prince of a system that exists in our world today. It is a kingdom that exists and as far back as, as uh, the, the ministry of Isaiah, we've talked about that, 750 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah was talking about the Messiah and his kingdom, which would be coming into the world. 
Now immediately following Jesus' experience of fasting for 40 days and being tempted in the wilderness by the devil, he begins his preaching ministry and he says as early as Matthew 4.17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is declaring the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. I'm here, fellas. My kingdom is here. Jesus is announcing the arrival of that kingdom to those that would listen and those that would want to be part of it. Interestingly, Jesus tells us that his kingdom and those who are part of that kingdom is not really of this world. He tells those who would be part of it, hey, the world hates me, and believe me, if they hate me, they are going to hate everyone who is ultimately a part of my kingdom. Why? Because these kingdoms are opposing kingdoms. In the book of Revelation, John mentions both kingdoms at the same time. Revelation chapter 11 The second half of verse 15, he said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Thus there are two kingdoms that exist. One is a kingdom of light, the other is a kingdom of darkness. One is the kingdom of heaven, and the other is the kingdom of this world. Those kingdoms exist and they are in constant conflict with each other. They are in opposition to each other, but they are not equal. They are not equal. When we think of those kingdoms, we can often think of them just being completely polar opposite and that they they hold each other at bay, but the kingdom of this world does not have the power to overcome the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. How many of you like options? Does anybody here like options? I, I, um, I like options. I want to talk about something that's not an option, however. Uh, Over the New Year's, um, I I just, I remember I was watching one of 17,000 college football games, uh, I think on New Year's Day, and my wife and her dad and her brother were sitting at uh, the dining room table, and they were talking um, about my father-in-law's heritage and where he came from. And I learned some things that I did not know, and my wife probably thought I wasn't paying any attention at all, but I was. And, and my father-in-law's heritage, he, he remembered, he thought that it, it actually traced back um, to the island of Guernsey, okay? Um, now, those of you that, that, that just think Guernsey is a cow, it's not just a cow, um, high buttermilk content, um, just want to say that I know that, uh, but it's also an island, and, and that island, there is a history. In fact, I'm, I'm going to shout out for my father-in-law. Um, when they began reading on Wikipedia, I think is where they were reading, they mentioned my father-in-law's uh, mother's maiden last name, and that, that uh, the, the guy that they were talking about actually helped take the gospel to Costa Rica from these British islands. And I thought, man, that is amazing. There's been ministry happening in my family for a long, long time. I thought that was really cool. Um, But the thing about this island 
that, I, that is really interesting. In 1483, the Pope declared that these islands, Guernsey and Jersey and some other of these Channel Islands, they were neutral. Okay? You see, there was a, there was a big struggle between England and France, and, and the Pope declared that these islands were neutral. They had no position uh, in the world. They, they would be neutral unto themselves. They would not get involved in this struggle in the world. In fact, then in the 1500s, that was again confirmed with a treaty between England and France. And so for another hundred years, into the mid to late 1600s, these islands remained neutral. And it got me starting to think about, you know, you don't think about this, uh, countries being neutral. And all of a sudden, as I did a little research of my own, I realized there's tons of countries in the world today that are neutral. Switzerland would be the biggest example of a country that is a neutral country. And that was declared in 1815 in their Vienna um, conference and their, in, in their documents in 1815. They said, we will be a neutral country. Now you say, wait a minute, they have a military. And they do. They are armed neutral. That's how they describe themselves. In fact, even uh, during uh, the world wars, there were times when uh, forces that obviously because they're neutral, they're not aligned with, that traveled through their country, that they sort of were in a, a defensive position, but just allowed them to move through their country, and they did not get involved because they were neutral. Now, that means staying out of everybody else's business in the world. They say, what Switzerland would say is, hey, if you guys want to fight and kill each other, that is, that is okay by us, but we're not getting involved. Don't expect us to help you. Don't expect us to come defend you. We are neutral, all right? They don't want to take sides. They, they don't want to make anybody angry. They want to keep everybody happy. And there's a lot of people in the world today that view themselves spiritually as being neutral. Are you with me? Do you get what I'm saying? You talk to them. You, you do. You say, what are you talking about, pastor? You talk to somebody and they say, well, I don't really believe in God. I don't really believe in heaven and I don't believe in the devil or hell. I'm sure most of you have had a family member or a friend or an acquaintance that has said almost that verbatim. They are taking a position of spiritual neutrality. And what they're saying is, because I don't believe in either of them, therefore I, I'm just separate. I can have this position and I will not get involved in the idea of heaven or hell. I just don't believe in any of it. That is something that people literally think is a legitimate stance on their spirituality. They, they, they walk around in denial of reality, their heads in the sand, thinking that will, it will all go away. The problem is that if they are wrong, the scripture says that it's, it's appointed unto us once to die and after that comes the judgment. 
And at that point, they will realize that there is no neutrality. That indeed, there is a heaven and there is a hell. Let me illustrate uh, what that would be like. I do not believe in electricity. Therefore, I'm going to grab the ends of these two wires, okay? <clears throat> because I do not believe in electricity. Now, not believing in electricity is not going to keep me from getting knocked on my butt by 220 or 110. Are you with me? I'm going to get shocked. It doesn't matter what I believe. That is what it would, it would be similar to if someone were to say, well, spiritually, I'm just, I'm just neutral. It doesn't apply to me. You can't take yourself out of um, the scenario simply by saying that I, I, I don't believe. Well, somebody, um, they, they might say, well, you know, okay, all right, I'm just not going to make a choice. Are you with me? You got what I'm saying? I just won't make a choice. I don't choose God. I don't choose heaven. I don't choose hell. I don't choose God. I don't choose Satan. I, I, just, I just don't choose. Well, to not choose means to reject. That when we don't choose God, ultimately we reject him. Neutrality is not an option. We must choose. In fact, and here's my next point, we have to choose one or the other, these kingdoms. Anybody here love a, a, a good buffet? I'm already hungry, okay? I, I kid you not. I had, I had my breakfast this morning. I'm already starving, all right? I love, I'm sorry, this is, I know I'm not supposed to say this, um, you know, and, and, and I care about my health, but I love a good buffet, and I'm just going to, you know, they say that confession is good for the soul. Confess confess your sins one to another that you may be forgiven. <laughs> Lord, I confess I love Pizza Ranch. <laughs> I do. I, I love, and I don't call it Pizza Ranch, I call it Chicken Ranch because that's all I'm there to eat is chicken, okay? I eat a salad so I feel better about myself. I don't hate myself, but then I start on the chicken and then I just start feeling bad. Why do we like a good buffet. I'll tell you why. Because we want to be able to choose this thing or we want to be able to choose that thing or we want to be able to choose both. Okay? That's why we like a good buffet. It's not because I'm a pig, although I can act like it when, when I'm there. Um, it's, it's the option, Okay? And, and that's how other people look at spirituality in our world today. They look at it like they're at a buffet. I want to take a little of this. Ooh, I like, I like this, okay? I like this about Eastern mysticism. I'm going to take a little of that. I'm going to take a little from, from hedonism. I'm going to take a little from materialism. In fact, I'm going to take a little bit from Christianity because I like it, and I'm just going to get it all together into this, this plate that I make up of my spiritual life, and it's, it's a buffet to them. But the problem is, 
God has given us that, that free will, and that, that's not the problem. The problem is he's given us that free will, and Scripture says that when we make that choice, okay, we're standing at the, the religion buffet, okay, and we start scooping stuff onto our plate. Scripture says that there, once we begin to take that into our lives, that we begin to serve whatever that is, okay? You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Listen, the, the reality is, Paul says we become slaves to that which we take in like that. Whoever we determine we're going to serve, we ultimately become slave. Now, Scripture says that Paul was a love slave. He loves Jesus, and he serves him. But when we take from that buffet of religion, we are going to serve and be a slave to what we are ultimately taking in. It's one or the other. We can't serve both sides in this conflict. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The, the uh, King James word is mammon. And Barnes Study Bible says that that's a, a Syriac word. And, and some people say that it's a name that was given to an idol that was worshipped as the god of riches. The bottom line is this, you cannot serve the true God and at the same time be supremely engaged in obtaining wealth or pleasure or fame or fill in the blank, anything else, we, they cannot compete. In fact, the love of one will literally impact the other. We cannot serve to masters. It's an issue of human nature and it includes the ultimate pursuit of anything. Either we pursue God or we pursue something that is not God. It doesn't matter. In 850 BC, there was a king of Israel named Ahab. He reigned over Israel for 22 years. The Bible says that he did more evil than any other of the kings that had come before him. He worshiped the gods of Baal. Baal was the god of fertility. He literally was referred to as the prince, the lord of the earth. People were following their king into Baal worship. It was time for a showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of Jehovah God, whose name was Elijah. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, the prophet, it says, went out before the people and said this, How long will you waver between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So Elijah, the Bible says, set up a contest between himself and the 450 prophets of Baal. And they set up two altars. And they put stone and then they put wood and then they put meat on there for the sacrifice. And Elijah said, hey, whoever's God answers by fire, that's the God that is truly God. And so he let the prophets of Baal go first. And so they began to cry out to their God. They began to cut themselves. They began to do all sorts of crazy stuff. And their God never answered. In fact, Elijah, the Bible says, teased him. And he said, hey, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe, you're, maybe he's just not there. Maybe he's asleep right now. Maybe he's not paying attention to you. 
And then it says that Elijah told him to pour water over his sacrifice to the Lord and literally created a moat filled with water and he prayed and God answered by fire and he literally devoured the sacrifice and all the water that was in the moat around that and God was declared as being God that day. I want you to understand with me, friends, we have a choice. Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to read that to you in just a moment because Joshua had a very similar moment. The choice is yours. We can't serve both at the same time. God has given you and I the ability to choose whose side ultimately we desire to be on. We can choose to be on God's side or we can literally choose anything else. But remember, there are really only two sides, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world. At the conclusion of Israel's campaign to go into the promised land that was given to them by God, Joshua has this one final meeting with all the leaders and the officials of the land He takes some time and he reviews their history from Egypt forward, telling them about how God had delivered them. And he says to them, listen, you're living in cities that you didn't even build. You're harvesting crops that you didn't even plant because God gave you where you are. And he challenged them. And he said to them in verse 15 of Joshua 24, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He was able to to crystallize for them that they have a choice, but it's time to ultimately make that choice. And he said, I've chosen God for me and all of my family who will follow me. When we make that choice, I believe that it should be evident to those that are around us. Paul reminds us in Ephesians that there was a time when we were separate from Christ. We were excluded from citizenship in this kingdom of heaven. We were without hope. We were without God. But as the result of choosing Him, we become members, part of God's household, part of God's family. He even refers in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is not only in the kingdom, our citizenship is in heaven when we make that choice. And when we make it, we need to be transformed. When we make that decision, when we make that choice to be a part of His kingdom, We need to be transformed. You see, the pull of this world and its system is incredibly strong. Oh, I've seen it in my family. A lot of people wonder, how can two kids in one family turn out so differently? My brother Mark has stood here and shared his testimony with all of you. Same family that Dan and I were raised in, and yet from his freshman year of college, went from living in the dorm at North Central Bible College to living in his car under a bridge in Minneapolis. Stealing in the malls, a life of addiction, 
that lasted over 10 years. He made a choice. The pull of the world and its system are so strong. Jesus tells his disciples, listen, if the world hated me, the world is certainly going to hate you. And when we choose that kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of this world is going to come down on us. There's pressure to conform to the world's system. Paul says in Romans 12, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, are you glad for his mercy? Oh, this morning as I was getting ready and just shaving and and just thinking about today, the Lord just convicted me. Kevin, do you have mercy? Do you have grace for people? God, I pray for grace. In view of God's mercy, Paul said, present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Look at what he says next. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be renewed on a regular basis You see, we've got to resist the pressure to conform to the world system. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from us. But resisting can be hard. Paul says, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But we need to be constantly transformed. Our minds need to be constantly renewed. The scripture talks about being washed in the word. We need to be constantly transformed and trans- and, and made brand new in Jesus Christ. So I just want to wrap up with one more scripture from Matthew chapter 12. In fact, It's not even going to be there for you on the screen. It's just something the last couple of days that have just been rattling around in my heart where Jesus said in Matthew 12, 30, he said, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. This month is, we're going to to look at this idea of kingdom builders the first question that I believe that we have to settle is whose kingdom are we part of? Are we a part of the kingdom of God? Are we part of anything else other than that? It doesn't matter. We can't be neutral. There there is no such thing as spiritual neutrality. You may live in denial all the years of your life, but the moment that you step into eternity, you're going to go, oh, Now I know, there is no such thing as neutrality. Which kingdom are you a part of? Whose side are you on? Because it means a difference. It means everything. As we move forward with this idea of kingdom builders, it matters whose side you're on. Because if you're on one side, you're going to respond that way. Are you with me? If you're in the kingdom of this world, no matter what that looks like in your life, that's the direction you're going to go. But if you're a part of God's kingdom, then that's what we're going to do. That's the direction that we're ultimately going to go. No one else can answer this question for you. Only you can answer it. What kingdom 
are you a part of? I believe 2019 can be a year of seeing God's kingdom grow in us more than it ever has. I, I believe that, that 2019 can be a year of seeing God's kingdom expanded here in Marquette County and, and in Alger County and, and in Luce County and, and all in Dickinson County, all over. We can see God's kingdom grow more than ever before. But God has chosen to do it through us. We can't just say, well, it's up to God. I'm a part of your kingdom, Lord, but it's up to you. Sorry, that's not what the word says. Jesus said, hey, I'm leaving now. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's on us. I'm sorry. I'm just the messenger. Don't hate me. But that's, it's our responsibility. If we're a part of his kingdom, that's on us. So let's get about doing it. Let's be builders of the kingdom. And 2019 can be the most incredible year we have ever seen in the kingdom of God in the Upper Peninsula. I almost thought I needed to say it again because that was kind of a slow response. But the choice is yours. Whose kingdom are you a part of? Which side are you on? My desire, God's desire. God's desire is that you say, God, I am, I am a part of your kingdom. I am on your side. I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Come on! I want you to stand with me all across this place, out in the hub as well. If you're watching online, you might be watching a year from now. Or you could be my dad and his wife Judy watching on Tuesday, as they always do. God wants to do things in your life and through you that will expand his kingdom. In just a moment, we're going to close with a song that we sang earlier called Holding Nothing Back. And I think that's a great theme for 2019. Let's hold nothing back, amen? That's a great thing. But before we do that, we got to say, God, I am on your side. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for these precious, beautiful people. Lord, that are here today. Some have been in the church for 50 years. They can't even remember a time when they didn't go to church. They can't remember a time when they didn't consider themselves to be your children. And then there's some that this could literally be the first day they've ever been in church ever. Father, it doesn't matter where they are on that spectrum. I pray right now, Lord, that the, the cry of their heart will be, God, I am on your side. I love the fact that the scripture says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that is a promise that we can stand on today. Some of you this last year, is just, it's just beat 
It's beat all the confidence out of you. You wonder if God even loves you anymore. I have good news for you today. That he loves you and he comes with his grace and his mercy. This morning, if that's you, you say, Pastor, I just need to be reminded that God loves me today. Just slip your hand up as we're closing in prayer. Just slip that up. I need to be reminded that God loves me. I need to be reminded that he wants me on his side at all. Father, I pray, Lord, for these that have their hands raised, that you would begin to speak to their hearts, that you would begin to assure them that you love them. Assure them that they are part of your household, your family, your kingdom. And Father, I pray that this year will be an incredible year in the kingdom of God, in the upper peninsula, that we will see you move in a powerful way. In your name we pray. Amen.